0: sometimes you have a friend where things flow really well and you're just like oh yeah whatever that's what friends are sometimes it's nice actually to be around someone and you're like oh this is really bad this is really hard and not what i want and this feels really awful
1: Welcome to today's podcast episode. I hope you're having a great day so far. I am recording this intro to today's episode sat on the bedroom floor of our new house. We moved in this week. I'm currently hotspotting off my iPhone, which the boys and I have nicknamed the iPony, which is literally powering everything in the house at present. I hope that we have internet back happening uh, by the time this episode goes live because it would certainly make life easier. It's been a huge week but I'm feeling really, really happy to be in the new home. If you haven't listened to the episode that Brendan and I recorded together uh, that went live on Monday, jump back and have a listen. We just chat through, I guess, like seasons of sacrifice and moving into a new home together and why and all of those sorts of things. Um, But it's been a huge, huge week. And we've not moved far from where we were living, but of course, you still have to pack and unpack and do all of those things. And uh, today in particular, I feel really scattered and stretched because it's like, oh, okay, the pest, the plumber, the carpet cleaner of that property, get those keys back, all the things. But I won't bore you with those annoying details. I will just say that it's been a big week and I'm very much looking forward to getting back into a routine and rhythm when everything is sorted Today's podcast episode is an interview I recorded a little while ago with Lane Moore I really and you'll hear this in the episode I really adore Lane. I think she is an incredible woman Lane is a comedian an actor an author a musician and Uh, She's just released a book titled, You Will Find Your People, and today's episode is a really honest conversation about that, about the struggles that sometimes come along with trying to find your own friendship circle as you get older. Lane is really candid, really open and honest about what it's been like for her. And so I hope that you really enjoy today's podcast episode. As always, it would mean the world to me if you jump on over, let me know what you think, slide into the DMs if you're more comfortable doing that. And I look forward to speaking with you very, very soon. Just quickly, a word from today's sponsors. Unless, of course, you're one of our Venti members, in that case, there are no ads and your episode is about to keep playing. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue.
0: Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short
1: term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Lane, I've been so excited to chat with you ever since 2019 when I read your book, your first book, because it was at a time that I was first single, for like the first time in my adult life in over a decade. And I came across your book, How to Be Alone. And it just spoke to my soul on levels that I can't even describe to you. So as I was sitting here waiting for your beautiful face to pop up on the screen, I was like, I'm actually so nervous to speak <laughs> to you today. You mean a lot to me. So thank you for being here. That's so nice. I feel like this is the first
0: time I've ever done an interview where I was tempted to cry at the beginning. Uh, that's so, I, I, I can't tell you how often I hear that and how much it continues to mean to me because honestly, when I wrote how to be alone, I really, before it came out, I honestly thought, what if everybody judges me? What if everybody is like, why has this person had so so many problems connecting with somebody? You know, she's had a really hard childhood. Like, I just assumed there would be this, like, no one feels like that, you weirdo. And I have to say, like, it is like this flood of people who find the book and are like, I've never heard anybody talk about this. And it just, yeah, it continues to mean so much to me. And, And that part of me that was like, Oh, what if I'm the only one who feels like this? I'm going to release it anyway, even though I'm scared. So, yeah,
1: I appreciate no, it, it. Was incredibly validating, and I just, I really needed the book, that book, at that time in my life. So, thank you. And even just hearing you speak then about how once you created that book and put it out into the world, all of these other people came forth and said to you, like, "This is my story," or "I can connect with this," and I needed that. And I have to imagine just the fact that you felt and heard so much support and validation, like I have to imagine that then led you to want to create another book about finding your people and I guess about the power of vulnerability of being open and actually being really thoughtful and intentional with the people that you seek out and have in your life.
0: Absolutely. You know, um, so How to Be Alone was so much about, Realizing all the things that kept me kind of isolated or kept me, you know, I would have a friendship and it'd be really hard. And I'd be like, all right, well, I don't want to do that again. And I don't mean hard, like challenging. I mean, like they'd be really mean or I wasn't getting what I needed or just, you know, and then it sends you back to that place of like, maybe I don't get that and having to raise myself and be my own best friend. And, you know, all these solitary things that are so important. I think, to create the foundation within yourself so then you can be better equipped to make better decisions about your friendships. But like, then once you go out into the world and then you're like, oh, I would like to find community. I would like to find my people. And then you find there's new wounds that haven't been healed. There's new things that you have to do. And there's some work you can only do through your friendships, through connecting. You have to come out of that little, you know, self-healing cocoon, and be around other people. And I thought, gosh, this is a whole other thing to learn how to do, especially, you know, as an adult, as a fully developed person, you know, far more so than, you know, when you're in high school and you're meeting friends there. And I really wanted to write a book about how painful and challenging and romantic and exciting, That all can be because I think so often we talk about making friends as though it's really easy and it's not a big deal and it doesn't really matter. And I don't agree with any of that. I think it's very much a big deal. I think it can be very challenging and I really think it does matter.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And there's so much focus on romantic relationships and there's a wealth of knowledge out there if you want it. You can go out and you can really learn about your attachment styles and you can improve the way that you date and try different things. And yes, look at those wounds and all of that stuff. But when it comes to friendship, there is a real lack of information and support out there about how challenging it can be. And even just as you were speaking then, Lane, I was thinking it's so true. Like as a child, we form friendships kind of out of circumstances And then as adults, when we don't have school or we've been through a pandemic and we've been isolated and it's like, you don't actually have that connective tissue of being in the same class. You have to get really aware and intentional about seeking out these connections. Yeah. And it's, you know, I've,
0: I've thought many, many times in my life, like, oh, I miss When I had something like that, whether it was being in school or, you know, something where like you had to see each other all the time uh, so that you could connect with them all the time, but also so they couldn't just leave out of nowhere. Like they would have to face you if they wanted to just suddenly cut and run. But now, you know, people can, people can just totally like disappear from your life. And, you know, I have, I speak about that in uh, there's two sides to that, uh, that I, I talk about in this second book. Um, but I also talk about the pain of like having a friend leave with truly without really any warning at all. Like it's one thing if you've told a friend multiple times what you need and they're not listening and then you have to leave quote unquote without warning. Like you gave them a lot of warning, you know? Um, but it's another thing where you're like, I don't think I did anything wrong. This person never talked to me about anything. And now we're just done. And I've experienced that a couple times in my life, or, or this person is just suddenly being really mean to me. And I don't know why. And it, it seems like you should be done with that in high school, but you're not. I have experienced it several times where you're like, how is somebody who was my closest friend being really mean to me right now as an adult? And it's
1: It's really painful. It's painful. And in just like preparation for our conversation today, I was having a bit of a think about my own friendship journeys and where I am in life right now and the friends that I have. And I was thinking to myself, like, what are the actual barriers and the challenges? And of course, it's things like, you know, logistically your location. I live further away from a lot of people, like a lot of my close friends. So that makes it harder. It's things having things in life that compete for your attention and feeling like you have a limited resource. And then I was thinking also social media in a way, because social media is this landscape where we can curate our people online and we can We can create this little place that we can escape into in our phone where we've got our people online, but it's not always the meaningful connection that we actually need. It can be quite superficial, quite surface level. So how do we actually, I guess, first of all, identify what's going on in our own life and why we're not? having the space to connect with people. But how do we also identify what meaningful means to us?
0: So I was thinking about, I mean, obviously, I've been thinking about this for years already in the book, but I was thinking about this, you know, it's so interesting, because in writing this book, these themes kept coming up for me. You know, I, I think in In all of my writing, I've never really gravitated towards writers who are like, I struggled with this for three days and then I am fine now. And here's what I did. I don't care. I don't want to hear from that. I want to hear from somebody who's in the trenches and knows that most of these things in life aren't just immediately solved. Like this is something that I think we often have to work on for a whole life. So, you know, speaking to that, I have noticed that even after I, I wrote this whole book on it, there are still moments where I'm like, oh man, that is that's coming up again, and something that I was, um, as it as it relates to that, like what is, what is something that is meaningful? And I thought about this the other day when I ran into an old friend who things were no longer easy between us, and I don't know if they ever were. But I, I ran into a couple friends that I was like, oh, this isn't that fun. We're like kind of strained when we're talking to each other. I feel kind of nervous. I don't really like this. And at first I was really sad. I was like, what happened? How did I get myself into a situation where I'm spending time with somebody who I don't have, you know, I'm not having fun with. And then I was able to reframe it in my mind and think, oh, actually, I think this is a gift. Sometimes I think when we're around people who it doesn't flow very naturally with and it feels very stunted and it feels awkward. To me, it makes me remember how special it is when it's not like that, you know, because sometimes you take it for granted. Sometimes you have a friend where things flow really well and you're just like, oh, yeah, whatever. That's what friends are. Sometimes it's nice, actually, to be around someone and you're like, oh, this is really bad. This is really hard and not what I want. And this feels really awful. And I think that sometimes going through those situations can make you see more easily what the meaningful friendships are in your life, the ones that make you feel the opposite of that. And then you're able to go back and you're like, oh man, I, I really actually value this so much more. I, I feel like it's it's similar to if you're thinking about leaving a, a romantic relationship that's like, okay, but you're not sure. And then you go on a first date and the first date's so bad. And you're like, "Never mind, I love you. <laughs> Change <your mind. laughs> Yes. I think there's some of that. And, you know, of course there's other ways, but I just think that you know, one of the things I realized was I put so much pressure on myself for my friendships to look the way they did in pop culture, in TV and movies. And I just, when I when I was writing the book, I, I wanted to talk about how unrealistic a lot of those friendships are. And because they're so unrealistic, I I don't think it's serving us to continue to compare ourselves to that. And so the reason why I like that, like, oh, this doesn't feel very good friendship as a comparison is it's much more realistic. If I'm comparing myself to five people on TV who see each other every single day, I'm going to feel like I don't have any friends. I'm going to feel like I failed. But if I compare myself to like, hey, if I have even one person who it feels easy with, who I laugh with and have fun with, whether they live five miles away or
1: 5,000, like, that's meaningful. That counts is is helpful to me yeah it's it's so true as you were talking I was thinking about sex in the city right it's the quintessential representation
0: That's that's the example that I use in the book because it's ridiculous like they're all at the same hot restaurant every single day of the week no one has a schedule that didn't line up nobody forgot that it was today they were all there dressed to the nines no one was in sweatpants I don't get it like
1: they also don't really treat each other very nicely a lot of the time like the amount of episodes where Carrie's like okay you can go now like they go somewhere together and then she's like, okay, you can go. And I think like if you did that in real life to a friend, they're not going to be super impressed. And so, taken,
0: and they'd taken, you know, a cab to some fancy part of town that they probably don't live in and now they just leave. It's so but, true. Like but we're talking that that's the ideal and it's like, it's tough.
1: Yeah, so I guess there's a big part of adjusting our expectations, right? Because if we all feel like we're coming up short because we don't have those three other best friends to go and have brunch with every weekend, we can feel like we're doing it wrong or there's something wrong with us. Yeah, I think that's absolutely it and and I
0: you know, I think one of the biggest things that I want this book to do is help chip away at a lot of that shame because I know I had a lot of shame around that of just being like, oh, you know, it's it's weird. You can you can be an adult, you know, very much out of, you know, fifth grade or whatever, and still feel like if you don't have perfect friends, you're like the kid pick last for volleyball or something. And that's not really, that's not true, I don't think for most of us. But again, it's just that feeling of like, why don't I have those sex in the city friends? Why don't You know, why don't, I have those uh, golden girlfriends, I guess, cause we're not retired yet, but you know what I mean? Like, why don't I live with uh, my best friends? Like on new girl, why don't I work with all my best friends? Like on parks and rec, like these are the touchstones that I had because we, we want that and we have every right to have that. But I also think if we can't get that, because I don't think the world makes it super easy for us to have that to erase this as like a personal failing, which is what the world tells us all. I see it all the time on social media. People will be like, you guys need to get better friends. Ugh, What's wrong with you? What are you doing wrong? And I'm like, shut up. Shut up. Congratulations. You had a really easy time with friendship. I just don't think it's helpful. It's just increasing the shame. Why? For what?
1: I completely relate to that feeling, you know, even when it comes around to a birthday and you think, oh, I want to plan a birthday celebration. Then you realize actually, like for me, my four closest friends, they're not close with each other. And so there's no connective tissue there and we all live so far apart. So there have been times, you know, like once a year when I think, oh, it would be really lovely to organize that big birthday celebration. And then I do feel in the pit of my stomach like, oh, no, I don't have that group of friends like they have on friends. Um, But I guess it's been for me getting a little bit older and realizing, okay, what is a meaningful friend to me? What does that look like? And actually just getting comfortable with going, well, yeah, a meaningful friend to me is someone that I don't see six times a week, but it's someone that I can pick up the phone and know they'll have my back. And there's also been this, I guess, realisation for me, Lane, where I've caught up with people and realised when we catch up, all we're doing is reminiscing, you know, like we're just talking about things we've done in the past. Yeah. It's It's not anything we've done recently or anything we're planning on doing. It's all kind of like in jokes from way back when And like that feels sugary and sweet to a certain extent, but I often walk away going, they don't know me. Like these people that I've known forever, they don't know me. They have no curiosity in knowing this version of me. And so that's been on my mind as well. Like how do we find people that we can let in and allow them to know the current version of us? Or how do we update our friendships and bring them along into the present moment? Cool fact.
0: A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company,
1: offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com.
0: And that's so hard because that is another thing that we do where we base, and by we, I mean society, culture in general. I don't agree with this at all. But our, our culture really does base the validity of a friendship or like the importance of a friendship on like, well, how many years have you known them? But like you're saying, you could have known somebody for 10, year, for 10 years. They don't know who you are now. They know who you, who you were what you were 16 years old, 20, whatever, whatever it is. And they don't know you now. And most of your time is reminiscing about another time because you don't know how to know each other now. Maybe you're not even compatible now. Maybe the friendship is kind of over now. Like these are the things that are so tough whereas you might meet somebody today, 2 weeks from now or something and you know them for a couple of days and you feel like you know them even better than that person you knew for 10 or 20 years. And I I really, you know, want us to to stop putting this value on like the time we've known someone because like with romantic relationships, there's plenty of people who you know, oh, they were together for three years. But how many of those were you, like, actually happy? How many of those were you actually connecting? And how many of those did you just kind of keep staying together? Like, but we hear someone's been in a relationship for three years and we're like, wow, that was serious. When, like, who knows? Maybe they were apart those last two. Maybe they barely spoke those last two. I think the same is true for friendships. And, you know, um, I definitely wanted to... Talk a lot about that because I think, you know, um, in terms of how to update our friendships or that, I mean, it's tough because I really, when I, when I talk about this in the book, I really wanted to talk about it as a group project. Like friendship is a group project. And it's important for me to say because uh, I am the person who was always like, oh, it is my job to fix this friendship. It is my job to make this friendship grow and make this friendship better. That is such a horrible feeling. It never works. You can't force somebody else to grow. You can't force somebody else to put in more work. You just can't. So it's tricky. I mean, I I really encourage people to communicate as much as they can, give somebody as much of a chance as you can for them to show up for you and do that. But if somebody's not interested in growing with you, and like I think that's it. Like I think to some extent if you've talked about it a a little bit and you're like, oh, why hasn't this grown? I think you can try on your own, but it might just be that person doesn't have it in them. I've had that with many friendships where I'm like, I just don't think we're ever going to grow past this. And sometimes it's because you've grown and you've changed and they have not. So like, you can't ask them to go somewhere they haven't been yet, you
1: know? And I wonder about how much our attachment styles come into play there because I know for me, I lean more towards insecure attachment. I like a lot of communication, like smash me with text messages and smash me with the text messages that are just one line, you know, that you could have just put into one message. I'm like, no, send them separately. Like send me messages (laughs) as you want. Like, what do you need from me? Let me be your emotional everything. Like, I lean towards that enmeshment. And so I'm too much for a lot of people. But when I click with someone who has a similar expectation and a similar comfort level, it is like fire. Like it's ping, like we're pinging back and forth and it feels so effortless. So I have to wonder how much does our attachment style and our communication style um, facilitate the relationships and friendships we have? It's so, so huge. So in my first
0: book in how to be alone, I I talk about how much learning my attachment style um, and learning about how that impacted my relationships and things that that meant to me, particularly in my romantic relationships and all of that. In the second book, I wanted to talk about how much your attachment style can impact your friendships, because I never see that talked about. We always view it through that romantic lens. But the more I started, you know, talking about attachment styles and and doing TikToks about attachment styles and all these, and it, was, it became so much of my world, the more I realized, oh, this can all be applied to my friendships as well. It is not because I also um, lean more toward the insecure, anxious attachment style as well. And I was like, oh, I'm not only attracting and attracted to more avoidant people romantically i also have during the during the writing of this book i had realized that all of my friends were avoiding attachment and i was like what the hell like it's so hard to spot so much harder to spot and i was like oh and you know the only ones that work are the ones where like the avoidant person has to give more the avoidant person has to step up to the plate and go the anxious person needs a little bit more than me. This might not come naturally to me, but it's not hurting me. If it doesn't hurt you to give, cause that's the thing. I don't want anybody to ever feel like they're like, it's hurting them to give something that they need, which, you know, uh, avoiding people are usually so much better at their boundaries that they wouldn't do that anyway, but <laughs> it's usually an S problem. But, um, but you know, like are the friends in my life that are just like, Oh, you need this. I will show up for you in this way. I will do this because Anxious people are giving up some of what they need to be in the relationship too. We will always maybe to some extent want a little bit more from them and they will maybe want to give a little bit less. So you have to find a middle ground where you're like, okay, I know what to expect from them. I'm still going to make sure I'm like getting what I need on a base level. And you find that middle ground together. But the friends who I have not been able to find that middle ground together, it's not not going to work for me personally. There's just no way because you get into this pattern of thinking your needs don't matter because you just want to keep this friend. And then you're constantly always trying to get what you need somehow. And it's just never going to, it's never going to happen. So I've really had to, yeah, take, take a look at that. It's, 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 it can be really, really challenging because again, then you're back at that square one of the board game again, where you're like, Oh no, I've chosen the wrong friends. They might not be bad people, but now I got to go back to square one, maybe make new friends. How do I make other friends who have a more compatible attachment style who can give me what I need? And that's the thing. I, I don't, I don't think this is ever, I don't think finding your people or finding your friends. I don't know that it's ever fully solved. Like there's always something like that that can come up and you might have to go back and do it again.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm sitting here nodding along because I definitely, when I zoom out, I can really see that there is a strong through line from romantic partners to platonic friendships. And having done a, a, a fair bit of work on myself post divorce and post everything and blah blah blah, really realizing and resetting my expectations, my boundaries, what I want, and choosing a different type of romantic partner. I've noticed that there have been friendships that have kind of fallen apart really naturally because I guess I'm moving in a different direction. And I know we've touched on how painful that can be, and it absolutely can be. Um, But for those people who are listening right now and feeling like they're very lonely and they do want to find their people, where do they begin? So...
0: One of the things that, you know, cause I, I, <laughs> one of the things I joke about in the book is like the types of advice that we give people when they want to find their people, where it's like, go to a bar, join a club, go to like, if it was that easy, no one would ever have problems by, you know, finding their people. No one would ever have problems. Like we've all heard that same boring, cry. I, I hate those, those pat answers.
1: Um, and also just on that topic, it is, it's such a generic reply is like, go and do something you want to do. But literally so many women, especially, I, like, I have no idea how old you are, Lane, but it, I know in my age bracket, if I say to a woman who is in her mid-30s, what, what are your hobbies? She just gives me like a deadpan look. She's like, I don't know. I don't have time for hobbies. So this <laughs> advice about like go and you know, what's your hobby? Join a netball team or whatever. It's not always very practical if someone is time strapped or if someone doesn't even know what they enjoy. Yeah, so I think I mean
0: so there's there's several things. I mean, I think spent, you know, if you if you've done the work on yourself, if you've if you've spent that time, I think that's why, you know, there's no way I couldn't I could have written you will find your people without writing how to be alone because I don't think there's any way that you can like go on that journey without really spending time with yourself and being by yourself and cultivating that self-love, cultivating that self-interest, cultivating that, oh, I really like myself. I'm really cool. I'm worthy of getting to know. Because if you don't do all of that, I guess I'll refer to it as first book work. But if you don't do all of that work on yourself, You're going out in the world and, you know, and it's still, it still might happen, but you're just like, I hope you choose me. I don't really know myself. I don't really know what I like, you know, and and that's so much harder. And that's also why I don't like the, like, go join a club. I'm like, there's like so many more emotional things that you have to do that even if you do that, if you don't really love yourself yet, if you don't really know yourself yet,
1: going to club, who cares? You're just going to call in the sort of people that don't know themselves as well. And then it's going to be... Two people that have no idea how to have that meaningful connection anyway?
0: Yeah, I think – I really think so. So, I mean, I think having an openness to it because I, I really don't ever – Some people really like homework. They like knowing, oh, I'm supposed to go do this. I'm supposed you know, and if I do this, I will get this. And that's just not how human interaction works. I wish it did. I wish I could tell you, go tell a stranger you think is cool this very thing. You'll become friends. That's not how it works. Um, Most of the time, it's just not. And I think finding sort of a relief for that, because I know even with dating, When people would say like, well, well, what do I do? I want to be in a relationship. What do I do? And we love to assign, especially women, all this work. Go do this. Go do this. Go do this. Do all these things to like be ready for love, to be ready. And I hate that. I hate it so much because also we're not telling men that. We're literally telling them to sit there in their boxer shorts doing nothing with, you know, sleeping on an air mattress covered in stains. Like they don't have to do anything. So I really encourage people... To have more of like a curiosity and to see, for me, I really I think taking the pressure off is so much better than putting the pressure on. I think that's what I would say. Instead of saying you have to do it like this, you have to do it like this. If you've done the work to see that like you're enough and your friends are just bonus, your friends are just backup, kind of and you know, I'm not saying that's it's it's easy. But just seeing like, okay, well, let me remain open. So if I'm out somewhere, um, you know, at a cafe and I start kind of talking with a stranger and it's really nice, maybe there's something there. If I'm walking my dog and another dog owner is really cool and we have five minutes of conversation, like I talk so much in this book about um, my dog lights. I actually dedicated You Will Find Your People to my dog lights because my dog has been such a huge door opener in terms of that. She will find, she honestly has found a lot of my people where we'll be on the subway and she'll be like, I want to talk to them. And I'm like, okay. And that it's some really, really great girl. And like, we just start talking and we have a really lovely conversation. I'm like, you're really good at this. Or like, my dog is very cute and very friendly and we'll just start talking and removing this like weight of expectation of like what it should look like, how it should unfold, I think is so huge. And seeing that like the other day I met a woman in a coffee shop and we ended up talking for like three hours and like really bonding and really getting into it. I don't know what it's going to turn into. I don't know if it's going to be a friendship that lasts 30 years, maybe, but even if not, just really opening yourself up to the idea that connection can come from anywhere and connection is beautiful no matter what it is, I think is, that is really key.
1: Yeah. I love that advice. Not to put pressure on it. You know, don't wake up every day and go, okay, today's the day I'm going to go out into the big wide world and I'm going to meet someone out there in the wild and they're going to be my best friend, but actually just being open. I also think you sharing about your dog, that's really helpful because having an icebreaker is really, really good. And that's something I remember with um, my boys. So I've got twins, they're nine now, but when they were small, you know, when they were toddlers and I would go to parks and I'd just be trying to fill the day, like get out of the house, you know, hopping from one playground to another. And because I had the boys, it was such a easy icebreaker and I found it so easy during that time of my life to make really meaningful friendships because there's that icebreaker of automatically you have something to say To another mother, just like someone will have something to say to you as a dog owner. And then you also have that opportunity open up where you can share something that is maybe a little bit vulnerable, so that they can share something that's a bit vulnerable too. Like nothing bonds you quicker than entering a conversation and you're like, how, you know, how's your day been? And you're like, actually, it's been a shit show. You know, yeah. and I, I am just hopping from playground to playground to keep my sanity because if I go home, I'm going to lose my mind, you know, and then that allows the other person to play a bit of tennis with you. And maybe they won't, maybe they'll recoil and go, that's too much for me. But much like the dating process, then they're self-selecting and they're opting out. Whereas if they opt in and share something vulnerable as well, yep. before you know it, you are having that beautiful you know, tennis where you're hitting things back and forth to one another and you're building that connection.
0: Yeah, that's absolutely it. And, you know, having that it's, I've always had what I call really good stranger luck. And I, where it's like, I don't know, I've just always had really good luck meeting really lovely strangers and like, just, you know, it's not every single stranger. Don't get me wrong. I've had some really horrible, creepy things happen with strangers, of course, right? Um, but I've had these moments where, like, I'm able to really bond with somebody and be really open. And I think part of that is is I think part of that is that I'm 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 a very open person, and I'm very open to if I if I met you and you were like, oh, it's been kind of a shit show. I've been like, right, everything is weird now. Like, I'm waiting for that. I love, I love a window like that. I love a window where we don't have to be these people who are very polite. And yes, I'm great. And like, I've always hated that stuff. It doesn't feel normal to me. And not that you want to be complaining all the time or anything like that, but the world is hard. It is hard. Like it is an increasingly hard place. And to have to do this sort of like, how are you? Good. How are you? Good. I talk about that a lot in this book that I... I think that, you know, there is this whole. There's a whole chapter uh, specifically about how to be friends with somebody, or how to be a better friend to somebody who's dealing with mental illness or some kind of crisis, or is having a hard time, because so much of our culture is like, oh, don't talk about that. Save that for your therapist. Oh, don't tell someone that. That's overload. Oh, don't overload them. And, you know, you don't want to go up to a stranger and tell them something like really that's like very overwhelming and potentially triggering or anything like that, of course. Um, But that's not what this is. And I think that a lot of people need a bit of a re-education on that because I've noticed in my life that even some of my closest friends, um, I write specifically in the chapter about – um. I'm a musician in a band, and um, when I was playing with some musicians years ago, um, I was going through a really hard time, and I was, like, not allowed to talk about it. Anytime I tried to bring it up, it was like, "Uh, that's not the place. And I, it's funny, because (laughs) as sort of a way to cope with this, and in some ways probably a cry for their help, I wrote a song about it, about how you know, they were approaching this and how we, we don't know how to um, we don't like want to get our hands dirty with people, we don't want to, you know, we'll help somebody if they're going through like a physical problem, if they're going through a physical ailment, but a mental illness ailment, we are not going to talk about it. That's, we don't know what to do. We don't know what to do for you hands off. And I wrote this song about it and I was, I brought it in and I didn't mention what it was about or whatever. And then I really thought they were gonna be like, oh my God, is this about you? Is this about us? And it may not surprise you to know. They had no reaction at all and were just like, this is a great pop song. And I was like, God damn it! Like, what how can <laughs> what I What do I have to do? What do I have to do? And I just it was so hard for me because I, again, these these pop culture things where I, I really grew up thinking that. Your friends were people where you could be anything with. You could fall apart in front of them. And if you were going through something, you know, a lot of the TV shows, it would be like, oh, he's struggling with addiction, teen pregnancy or whatever it is. All these all these things. Right. That like their friends were like, we're all going to help you through this. And especially with like musicians and stuff like, yeah, she's going through this in the band. We're all going to help her. I don't think that stuff really happens in real life. I think more often. And it was so upsetting to me that like these people, I was spending all of my time with the only people I was seeing regularly were these musicians and they're treating me like we're friends. But the second that I brought up anything that was remotely outside of like a pleasantry, they didn't care. And it just was like a knife in my heart. Yeah
1: really confronting when you know that your idea of a meaningful relationship is actually allowing someone to know you. Yeah. Like that's not easy. No, it's not easy. And that's been a real revelation for me as well. Lane is going, you know what? I actually want someone who is a friend to know me yes, it's nice to sit down and reminisce or have the small talk, but that doesn't fill my cup. Like I want to know about you. I want to know about your struggles. I want to know about what's important to you. And that's what I want. But if it's not what someone else wants, you can't force that upon them. And maybe they do want the friendships or they're at a time in their life where it needs to be a bit more of a surface level. So I guess that's like that's so painful for you to go through. And I'm so sorry you had that experience and I am just sitting here going like, yeah, it's so important that we actually reflect what do we want in a friendship? And are we giving that to people as well?
0: Exactly. And I, I know for myself, you know, so often I didn't know what was okay to want Mm -hmm. because we don't really see those things reflected. There's, um, You know, a lot of the things that we see reflected are very simple, like in TV shows and movies. It's always just like, oh, no, you went through a really easy breakup. I'm coming right over or like, oh, no, you lost your job. I'm going to help you. Oh, no. Like, like just these. It's not that they're not a big deal, but they're very like we don't ever talk about anything more complex than that. And that was something I really wanted to write about in this book that that if all were ever shown and a lot of us are learning how to be good friends and how to interact with people from movies and television a lot of us that is where we're learning it and if we're never shown somebody going through anything other than like a job change or like a very casual breakup we're going to think those aren't things that you bring up in a friendship and i know I know that they should be. And I mean, going back to again, that like vulnerability and showing that vulnerability, I have found now in a lot of my interactions that when I have taken that risk with friends, no matter how casual they are, and just been like, hey, can I tell you really quickly? Like, I am really, I really have not been okay lately. And like, this is what's going on. And it's so, again, sometimes people don't have a great response. Sometimes people have the worst response actually and uh which is why it was important to me to write in this book what the good responses are so hopefully people can do better and we won't have to have so many friendships like I have had and I'm sure you know many people listening have had where you're just like who oh, that was the worst possible thing you could have said to me after I was just very vulnerable with you that really Made it way worse. And now I don't know if I ever want to open up ever again. Like that's very real. Uh, So I'm hoping it helps that. But but moments where the opposite happens and somebody who I, I can't tell you how many times, especially because social media paints this picture and I'm just like, oh, that person's got it all together. She is crushing it. She never, ever has a sad thought. She never has anxiety. She's never comparing herself. She is just so on it. Um, and then I'll talk to them and I'll be like, I'm feeling like this lately. I don't know. I don't know. And they'll write me back and they'll be like, oh, me too. All the time. And here's what's going on. I'm like, what? I had a conversation with a friend not long ago. And I was like, I don't know. I thought you had it all together. I saw this post and I saw this post on Instagram and you were in this other Instagram post and you just got this new car and you just got this and you just got this. And she was like, Yeah, but you know, here's the truth about that car. And yeah, here's the truth about my relationship. And here's the truth about this. And then in turn, my friend was like, well, I saw this thing you posted on Instagram, and you're doing this, and you're doing this. And I was like, well, here's the complicated truth about that. And you're like, you know, and we're able to have this moment of like, oh, I'm sitting here thinking... I can never talk to her about anything real because she has like, she has her life sorted and she's crushing it and she never feels bad. She never has any self-doubt. I feel like she's making way more money than me. She's way more happy, you know, happier than I am. She's probably working out 10 times a day. Like she must just be doing everything, you know, so much better or whatever. And she was sitting there doing the same thing to me. She was like, oh, I'm sitting there comparing myself to you. I'm like, oh, Lane's crushing it. And I'm like, even. And the thing is, too, that's so tough is my friend who was talking about this, she's not, like, trying to cultivate a social media presence that's very, like, aspirational. Like, I have it all together. I never suffer. And my page is very much not like that. But it doesn't matter because when we're posting those things, I think if your brain is like mine, you're still looking at it going, "Ugh, they're doing so much better than me. It's just the way it works.
1: Yeah, and it sounds like like what you're explaining, and it's something that I was thinking about as well this morning, is someone has to go first, right? Someone has yep. to be vulnerable <laughs> first. And it's the same when you meet someone, you know, at that coffee shop, when you're chatting with someone, someone has to go first and say, hey, do you want to get another coffee? Or do you want to take the dog for a walk? Or, hey, I think, you know, like, I think a very easy in nowadays is what's your Instagram name? And I'll click follow. And then you can send a nice little follow-up message and who knows what will grow from that interaction. But someone has to go first. And for a lot of people, that's very scary. But I always just think like, what's the alternative? No one goes first and you never get to know anyone else. Like if you go first and you get rejected, that's okay because they've just self-selected out and they're not your person anyway. So go first.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, I really think that is the easiest way. And look, you know, (laughs) it's funny because uh, I do talk a lot in this book about those chance meetings and how many people and women especially I have in my Instagram feed who are like a woman I bonded with like three years ago at a hotel pool when I was on tour and I'm still will see their updates and I'm like oh good for her like I still don't really know her she lives in another city I was just there on tour but like but look here's the thing like one day you know maybe the person that you bond with in a thing like unfollows you or they don't care anymore or whatever like that's fine okay like they can but again like I think I have so many more experiences, the more you start doing it, I have so many more experiences of people that I've met in this really happenstance way who have circled back around or we have become closer friends, even if we don't talk all the time I have, you know, I would say all of all of my friendships, I met them in a kind of weird, adorable way. Like I don't, I don't for me personally, I don't have like, oh, my friends are from when I was five. I wish I did. And I talk a lot about that in this book because that is the dream, I think, is the like friend who was born right next door and then you never have to look for them. The friend you've had since high school, I don't have that one either. Like, you know, this this book and this subject matter is, is really coming from a place of somebody who wasn't lucky enough to have it all figured out by then. And I, I really do it's important to me that people know, I really believe it's luck. If you get your your friends figured out that soon, I don't believe it has anything to do with worthiness. You got lucky. That's it. You know, because it's, and it's something I have to remind myself of when uh, <laughs> I did a show the other night and uh, someone who I was talking to there was like, oh, like I haven't made any friends since high school. I met them all in high school. And I was like, Uh, like for a second I was like oh I forgot that really does exist and and I I think she was in her like 40s and I was like oh imagine what it would have been like to get like how wonderful that would have been but I had to remind myself like Lane that is not the only way you literally just wrote an entire book about how that is not the only way so even when you know that information sometimes you still have to remind yourself that like comparison is a thief of joy. I have to remind myself all the time, like just because this person met all their friends at 13, like they got extremely lucky that there's so few, so few of us who that is true for. And they've all turned into this people who are still compatible. That is like, I don't, finding a diamond at a thrift store. Like that's like good well, that's for you. I'm sure it happens. Yeah, but it's nearly unheard of. And I think as romantic as it is and as lovely as it is, again, just chipping away at the idea that they did life right. Like if we could have all done that, we would have all done that. Just not everybody's life lines up that way.
1: Yeah, you're right. So much of it is luck. It's who you were in school with. It's where your parents chose to live. It's all of that stuff. (laughs) What you were going through at that time. I was, I was in survival
0: mode growing up. I was not in a great place to meet my best friends. Like not everybody's like lucky enough to be in a really good headspace to choose the right people and you know, feel socially confident and like <laughs> a yeah. lot of us had really bad friends growing up. I did.
1: Yeah, you're so right. And I think you've given us so much Incredible food for thought from understanding that our attachment style impacts our friendship to accepting that friendships are also going to aggravate our wounds to understanding that someone has to go first and that there really is so much power in vulnerability. I know that your book is going to be just full of wisdom. As I said to you before we hit record, I have already pre-ordered mine through Booktopia here. Where can our listeners order from you where where is the best spot for them to get their hands on a copy of your book
0: yeah um anywhere i I always encourage um people to go to like their local indie bookstores it's such a great way to support them uh if you can um i have a bunch of links on my website lane you can also um any of my social media platforms i'm at hello lane more on instagram and tiktok and twitter and all those things and my link tree has a bunch of links there um yeah, whatever is your, the easiest, the easiest way for, for you to get the book to your hands. And then I'm also doing, um, there's also going to be an audio book as well that you can pre order that, uh, I read the audio book as well. And fun fact about the audio book, uh, in both my first book and my second book, my dog Lights sat on my lap through the entirety of the audio book recording and just like quietly supported me while I read the audio book. So you can listen to it knowing there was an eight pound Chihuahua Italian Greyhound sitting on my lap, being like, Yay!
1: <laughs> really supporting mom there.
0: Really, very much. Yeah. I, you know, every now and again, the engineer would be like, we can hear some puppy breathing. And I'd be like, okay,
1: okay. (laughs) And you're like, that makes sense. Yeah. (laughs) I'm like, leave it in, leave it in. But yeah, (laughs) so good. (laughs) Lane, you wear a multitude of hats. You're an author, you're a comedian, you have your band, you have your social media following. I will make sure we put all of the links in the show notes It's been a real pleasure to have some of your time today and get to know you a little bit more. And I'm really looking forward to reading from cover to cover, How to Find My People.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Today's podcast episode was recorded on the land of the Bunjalung Nation. In the spirit of reconciliation, we acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respect to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today.